section one hundred of england scotland ireland and wales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the world's story volume ten england scotland ireland and wales edited by eva march tappan section one hundred an irish school early part of the nineteenth century by gerald griffin the schoolhouse at glendalough was situated near the romantic river which flows between the wild scenery of drumgolf and the seven churches it was a low stone building indifferently thatched the whole interior consisting of one oblong room floored with clay and lighted by two or three windows the panes of which were patched with old copy-books or altogether supplanted by school slates the walls had once been plastered and whitewashed but now partook of that appearance of dilapidation which characterized the whole building along each wall was placed a row of large stones the one intended to furnish seats for the boys the other for the girls the decorum of mr lenigan's establishment requiring that they should be kept apart on ordinary occasions for mr lenigan it should be understood had not been favoured with any pestilatian light the only chair in the whole establishment was that which was usually occupied by mr lenigan himself and a table appeared to be a luxury of which they were either ignorant or wholly regardless this morning mr lenigan was rather later than his usual hour in taking possession of the chair above alluded to the sun was mounting swiftly up the heavens the rows of stones before described were already occupied and the babble of a hundred voices like the sound of a beehive filled the house now and then a schoolboy in frieze coat and corduroy trousers with an ink bottle dangling at his breast a copy-book slate boster and reading-book under one arm and a sod of turf under the other dropped in and took his place upon the next unoccupied stone a great boy with a huge slate in his arm stood in the centre of the apartment making a list of all those who were guilty of any indecorum in the absence of the master near the door was a blazing turf fire which the sharp autumnal wind already rendered agreeable in a corner behind the door lay a heap of fuel formed by the contributions of all the scholars each being obliged to bring one sod of turf every day and each having the privilege of sitting by the fire while his own sod was burning those who failed to pay their tribute of fuel sat cold and shivering the whole day long at the farther end of the room huddling together their bare and frost-bitten toes and casting a long envious eye toward the peristyle of well-marbled shins that surrounded the fire full in the influence of a cherishing flame was placed the hay-bottom chair that supported the person of mr henry lenigan when that great man presided in person in his rural seminary on his right lay a close bush of hazel of astonishing size the emblem of his authority and the instrument of castigation near this was a wooden stroker that is to say a large rule of smooth and polished deal used for stroking lines 
in copy-books and also for stroking the palms of the refractory pupils on the other side lay a lofty heap of copy-books which were left there by the boys and girls for the purpose of having their copies sought by the master about noon a sudden hush was produced by the appearance at the open door of a young man dressed in rusty black and with something clerical in his costume and demeanour this was mr lenigan's classical assistant for to himself the volumes of ancient literature were a fountain sealed five or six strong young men all of whom were intended for learned professions were the only portion of mr lenigan's scholars that aspired to those lofty sources of information at the sound of the word virgil from the lips of the assistant the whole class started from their seats and crowded round him each brandishing a smoky volume of the great augustan poet who could he have looked into this irish academy from that part of the infernal regions in which he has been placed by his pupil dante might have been tempted to exclaim in the pathetic words of his own hero sunt hic etiam sua primia laudi sunt lacrimi rerum et mentum mortalia tangent whose head was the first question proposed by the assistant after he had thrown open the volume at that part marked as the day's lesson jim naughton sir well naughton begin Conster, Conster, footnote construe in the footnote now and be quick at pur ascanius mediis in wallabus acri gaudet equo iamque hos cursu iam preterit illos spumantemque dari go on sir why don't you conster at puer ascanius the person so addressed began but the boy ascanius mediis in wallabus in the middle of the valleys gaudet rejoices exults aragal exults is a better word gaudet exults acri equo upon his bither horse o oh, merther alive his bither horse inag era what would make a horse be bither jim sure tisn't of sour beer he's talkin rejoicin upon a bither horse dear knows what a show he was what raisin he had for it acri equo upon his meddlesome steed that's the construction jim proceeded acri equo upon his meddlesome steed yamque on now preterit he goes beyond outstrips acri preterit he outstrips hos these yamque illos and now those cursu in his course que and optat he longs very good jim longs is a very good word there i thought you were going to say wishes did anybody tell you that dickens a one sir that's a good boy well optat he longs spumantum aprum that a foaming boar dari shall be given wotis to his desires out fulwum leonum or that a tawny lion that's a good word again tawny is a good word better than yellow descendere shall descend monte from the mountain now boys observe the beauty of the poet 
there is great nature in the picture of the boy ascanius just the same way as we see young mistler kiley of the grove at the fox chase the other day leading the whole of em right and left yamque host yamque illos and now mistler cleary and now captain davis he outstripped in his course a beautiful picture boys there is in them four lines of a fine high-blooded youth yes people are always the same times and manners change but the heart of man is the same now as it was in the days of augustus but consther your task jim and then i'll give you and the boys a little commentary upon its beauties the boy obeyed and read as far as pretexit nomine culpum after which the assistant proceeded to pronounce his little commentary now boys for what i told ye them seventeen lines that jim naughton construed this minute contains as much as fifty in a modern book i pointed out to you the picture of ascanius and i'll back it again the world for nature then there's the incipient storm interia magno miseri murmure caelum incipit era don't be talkin but listen to that there's a rumblin in the language like the sound of comin thunder insequitur comista grandine nimbus do you hear the change do you hear all the s's do you hear um whistlin do you hear the black squall comin up the hillside brushin up the dust and dried leaves off the road and hissin through the threes and brushes and do you hear the hail drivin ather and spatterin the leaves and whitenin in the face of the country comista grandinae nimbus that i mightn't sin but when i read them words i gather my head down between my shoulders as if it was hailin atop of me and then the sight of all the huntin party dido and the Trojans and all the great court ladies and the tyrian companions scattered like cracked people about the place looking for shelter and pelting about right and left heather and thither in all directions for the bare life and the flood swelling and coming thundering down in rivers from the mountains and all in three lines et tyrii commitus possumet triana uentus dandanisque nepos veneris diversa per agros tecta metu petieri ruant de montibus omnis and see the beauty of the poet following up the character of ascanius he makes him the last to quit the field first the tyrian comrades and the feminine race that ran at the sight of a shower as if they were made of salt that they'd melt under it and then the trojan youth lads that were used to it in the first book and last of all the spirited boy ascanius himself silence near the door spelluncum dido dux et trianus iandum deveniant observe boys he no longer calls him as of old pius aeneas only dux troianus there's where virgil took the crust out of homer's mouth in the neatness of his language that you'd gather a part of the feelin from the very shape of the line and turn of the prosody 
as formerly when dido was asking aeneas concerning where he came from and where he was bound he makes answer est locus hesperiam grai cognomine di cunt terra antiqua potens armas atque uberi glebi huc curses fuit and there the line stops short as much as to say just as i cut this line short in spaken to you just so our course was cut in going to italy the same way when juno is vexed in talking of the trojans he makes her spake bad latin to show how mad she is silence many in capto desisteri victam nec passi italia tu quorum averteri regum quippe vetor fatis palasne excurere classum argivum atque ipsos potuit submergere ponto so he laves you to guess what a passion she is in when he makes her lave an infinitive mood without anything to govern it you can't attribute it to ignorance for it would be a whole thing in earnest if juno the queen of all the gods didn't know a common rule in syntax so that you have nothing for it but to say that she must be in the very moral of a fury such boys as the art a poet's and the janius uh, languages but i kept ye long enough go along to your greek now as fast as ye can and rehearse and as for ye continued the learned commentator turning to a mass of english scholars i see one coming over the river that'll teach you how to behave yourselves as it is a thing ye won't do for me put up your virgils now boys and out with the greek and remember the beauties i pointed out to ye if ye haven't the luck to think of em yourselves the class separated and the hundred anxious eyes were directed towards the open door it afforded the glimpse of a sunny green and babbling river over which mr lenigan followed by his brother david was now observed in the act of picking his cautious way at this apparition a sudden change took place in the entire condition of the school stragglers flew to their places the impatient burst of laughter was cut short the growing bit of rage was quelled the uplifted hand dropped harmless by the side of its owner merry faces grew serious and angry ones peaceable the eyes of all seemed pouring on their books and the extravagant uproar of the last half-hour was hushed on a sudden into a diligent murmur those who were most proficient in the study of the master's physiognomy detected in the expression of his eyes as he entered and greeted his assistant something of a troubled and uneasy character he took the list with a severe countenance from the hands of the boy above mentioned sent all those names he found upon the fatal record to kneel down in a corner until he should find leisure to hair them and prepared to enter upon his daily functions for the present however the delinquents are saved by the entrance of a fresh character upon the scene the newcomer was a handsome young woman who carried a pet child in her arms and held another by the hand the sensation of pleasure which ran among the young culprits at her appearance showed her to be their great captain's captain the beloved and loving helpmate of mr lenigan casting unperceived by her lord an encouraging smile toward the kneeling culprits 
she took an opportunity while engaged in a wheedling conversation with her husband to purloin his deal rule and to blot out the list of the proscribed from the slate after which she stole out calling david to dig the potatoes for dinner and so we too will leave the school end of section one hundred this recording is in the public domain